evidence and answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucharan. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on Evidence and Answers, Pat is interviewing leading apologetics scholar, Dr. Ron Rhodes. Ron has been a guest on Evidence and Answers many times, and you can find multiple interviews and teachings right there on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Today's topic is a popular one, the poverty of the prosperity gospel. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. Here's our host, Dr. Pat Zucaran and Dr. Ron Rhodes with part one. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, did Jesus promise health, wealth, and prosperity for all who place their trust in Him? Is sickness and poverty the result of a lack of faith in God? Many call the promise of prosperity part of the good news, while others call this the prosperity gospel and view it as a perversion of the gospel of Christ. What are we to make of this popular movement led by noted speakers such as Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, and Joel Osteen? To help us address this issue is Bible scholar Dr. Ron Rhodes. Ron Rhodes is president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries. He's an author of over 70 books, including three silver medallion winners. He's a keynote speaker at conferences across the United States. We featured him here in Hawaii at our conference. He regularly addresses current issues in the national media. And Dr. Rhodes has received his doctorate, his Ph.D., from Dallas Theological Seminary in Systematic Theology. So, Ron, welcome back, as always, to Evidence and Answers. Always good to be with you, Pat. Thanks. Yes, Ron is one of our favorite guests and one of our favorite speakers in Hawaii and whenever we have them on the show. Well, Ron, tell us, what exactly is the prosperity gospel? Well, it's really a money-driven or wealth-driven gospel, and it says basically that it's God's will that every Christian, no matter what part of the world you live in, is to be healthy and wealthy. That's what God's will is for you. And if you're not healthy and wealthy, then, you know, there could be something wrong in your spiritual life. It may be that you don't have enough faith. It could be that there are demons working in your life. It could be that you're just not living the way that God wants you to live. Or it could be that you're just not following the laws of prosperity as laid out by the prosperity gospel. And what I mean by that is the fact that many of the individuals who teach the prosperity gospel teach what you might call name it and claim it. That's the idea that the power of the spoken word can bring about good circumstances. And the idea there, Pat, is that if you speak negative words, you can bring about negative circumstances in your life. But if you speak positive words, then you can bring about positive circumstances in your life. So if you follow the laws of prosperity and you use your mouth just right, (laughs) if I can put it that way, then uh, you can become very prosperous. And I might tell you, Pat, that those who hold to this gospel do cite a lot of Bible verses, but just like a lot of the cults, they twist the scriptures to their own end, and they typically practice eisegesis. And what I mean by that is that they read their own meaning into the text of scripture. Yes, we'll go through about four or five of some of the most prominent verses 
that they cite here, but Ron, how is this really a perversion of the gospel? Well, it's really a man-centered gospel instead of a God-centered gospel. The true gospel is all about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ at the cross. And the salvation that we have is an eternal salvation, and Christ gave everything. He stepped out of eternity, became a man, which was an act of great humiliation, according to Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And he was the, the Savior, the divine Savior, who took your place and took my place at the cross. And like I said, the gospel, the true gospel, is God-centered in the sense that God is the one who accomplished everything through the cross. This prosperity gospel is man-centered. And when you look at it, it seems to me, Pat, and, and you may agree with this, it seems to me that the prosperity gospel tends to elevate man while it diminishes God. And it even elevates man to the position of what they call little gods. And as little gods, we can speak our own circumstances into existence, very much like the true God spoke the universe into existence back in the book of Genesis. And so that's a man-centered gospel as opposed to a God-centered gospel. And another way to put it is this. The true gospel focuses on human beings looking up to the face of God to receive what he has provided for us, whereas the prosperity gospel looks only at the hands of God. What can God give me as a result of my faith? And, you know, like I said, they twist a lot of scriptures to arrive at that position. Today, I think that uh, we're going to kind of turn the tide on that. And I, I need to make one point, though, if I might, Pat, and that is that not every single person in the uh, prosperity movement believes exactly the same way. And I only say that because there could be some prosperity gospel listeners who hear something that I say, and they might think to themselves, well, I don't necessarily believe that point. But what we're talking about today, I think, is going to be something representative of most of the people who believe in the prosperity gospel. And the way that you might look at it is that there's kind of a spectrum that ranges from mildly aberrant all the way over to cultic. And you have different people in the word faith movement that fall at a different part on that spectrum. Some of them are a lot more orthodox than others. Some of them are just way out there in terms of their doctrinal beliefs. But any way you look at it, there are some serious problems with this movement. Yeah, it seems to be a reversal of the call of discipleship, where the Christian makes his demands of God or his will, and God, you know, conforms or meets or the will or the desires of man. Instead, the call of discipleship is for us to discover God's will for our lives and then to to conform to his will rather than he conforming or serving the desires we claim and we want. Well, that's right. And when you look at what Scripture has to say about this, one of the things that you see of the people who truly walked with God, and I don't care if you're looking at the Old Testament or the New Testament, those who truly walked with God always manifest not only this, this idea that they were responsible to, to God, their Creator, but they all had a strong sense of humility they knew that they were sinners. You know, I'm kind of thinking back to the Apostle Paul there in Romans 7. And you remember how Paul was talking about uh, how sinful he was, that he tries to do the right thing, but every time he tries to do the right thing, he does the wrong thing. And uh, he's talking as, as an apostle there, I believe. And so that's the precise opposite of some of these guys teaching that you're a little God, because as a little God, it's 
you're not only not humble, but you're incredibly prideful and arrogant in setting yourself up as as a little God on earth who has the same basic abilities to do things as God in heaven. And so when I think about how God must look at this, you know, I just cringe because the almighty of the universe looking down upon puny little finite human beings thinking that they are gods, why that's got to be one of the most distasteful things before the divine throne that you can imagine. Yes, I think that's one of the reasons why it's such a dangerous message. Well, any perversion of the gospel is a dangerous thing, but not only that, it causes us to believe in promises that God did not make. Well, that's right. And uh, to tell you the truth, this is one of the most important points I think that you can make, because there's a lot of good people out there who will turn on the TV and they'll be channel surfing at night, and they might come across one of these particular word faith teachers who is saying that it is a promise that you'll be wealthy if you just follow these laws of prosperity. And they might say something like, you know, if, if you give, if you plant a seed by giving a lot of your money to this ministry, God is going to multiply it back to you. And then it doesn't happen. You know, their, their money has been given, but nothing comes back in return. And then people start to feel guilt. They start to feel shame because they think that there must be something wrong in their lives. And the truth of it is, is they've misapplied Scripture. They believe that something is a promise that is not really a promise at all. And so as a result of that, there are people out there who feel like maybe they're out of tune with God. Maybe they don't have strong faith. Maybe there's a demon in them because they haven't gotten wealthy like all of these other people on TV. Well, you know, Pat, there's one thing I always like to tell people about all this. Why is it that all of these Word Faith TV shows ask for your money? Why don't they just give their money away knowing that that planted seed will yield a much bigger crop of money in the future? I always find that very, very interesting. Yeah, you know, that's uh, something I wondered about as well. But you also make a great point. You know, I know those who have bought in to this theology who have a son or a daughter who's ill or, you know, mentally challenged, and they've claimed God's promises, and years have gone by, and their child is not healed, and yeah. they live with that sense of guilt or that they did not have enough faith or something like that. Well, in a case like that, it's not just the guilt because the miracle has not come, but there's also the guilt that maybe they have failed their child by not living before God the way they should. You know, they think that they haven't received that miracle or that response to faith because they've done something wrong. And the truth of the matter is, is that we are living in a fallen world where death is a reality, getting old is a reality. The Apostle Paul talks about how our bodies are constantly wearing down. We may be growing weaker in body, but we're growing strong in spirit. And it's just a, a clear biblical teaching that Christians do get sick. It is a fact. Even Paul had some kind of a thorn in the flesh, some kind of an eye disease, most people think. And so it's real important that we don't take certain Bible passages out of context to arrive at a distorted gospel, but rather it's important to interpret Scripture by Scripture, and when you do that, it protects you against the distortions of the word-faith movement. Now here's something that really happened, Pat. This is a genuine, true story. There is a case of a man and a woman who, the, the, the man had a cancer that was eating his body up 
And they responded to the teachings of a Word Faith teacher on television by sending in a, a rather large check. And the idea was that if they expressed their faith by sending in this check, then God would give them a miracle. God would bestow upon them a healing and that they would have health. They would be restored from this cancer. And about a year later, this couple received a letter from this same televangelist saying, you know, thank you for that donation that you sent in last year. God has personally told me that if you send in another $1,000, God is going to grant your healing. Wow. Well, now, of course, the thing that this evangelist did not know was that the man had died six months previous, and yet he's sending this letter saying, send me another $1,000 and God will grant your miracle. I mean, this is the kind of thing that goes on out there, Pat. And, you know, you hate to be a cynic, but the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus did warn us that there would be people in the church who taught false doctrines and who fell away from the truth. And Jesus did warn us about the danger of money. And he did warn us about the danger of misinterpreting Scripture. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm glad that we do shows like this today, so that we can focus on what Scripture says about this stuff. Yeah, and it's preying on, you know, the most vulnerable there in the body of Christ, those who are facing a life-threatening situation. And, I mean, they're open to anything that could provide some kind of hope for healing. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, just, their situation. they're desperate. They're absolutely desperate. And here's the thing that, that gives me comfort. The, the fact is, is that we will all face the judgment seat of Christ. Nobody is getting away with anything on this earth. Scripture is absolutely clear that unbelievers will face God at the great white throne judgment, but believers will face Christ at the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. And these people who have pulled the fast one on so many people out there they're going to have to answer for what they did, and it's not going to be a pretty picture. Yes, indeed. You know, I'm surprised, Ron, at how popular these preachers and speakers are in some of the poorest countries of the world. You know, I'm in Africa and Uganda, and I, I see these guys flourishing and people, you know, in the poorest conditions, <laughs> handing over and giving them uh, their finances. In the Philippines, they have huge churches. Uh, I was in Myanmar, you know, where they finally have some religious freedom there, and the Christians there are living in the poorest of conditions, and these guys are in there and prospering, and that message is really catching on in there. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think for one reason, a lot of the television that people in those countries get is word faith television. It's unfortunate that that's the case, but, you know, just an example would be the TBN network, which is global, and that's not to say that everybody on TBN is word faith, because that's not true. There are some good teachers on. But at the same time, when you have a network that continually features word faith teachers teaching that you're a little God, and that by properly using the power of your mouth that you can create your own circumstances and create wealth, and as well, you can use your spoken word to create health. So if you've got a disease, you can get rid of that as well. I mean, you know, if there's two things that people want, out there in the world. It's health and wealth. And so this really rings a bell, as it were, with a lot of people out there, especially in poverty-stricken uh, countries, because they've got no other basis for hope. I mean, a lot of these people think that it is a biblical doctrine that God promises health and wealth. And so this is the sad part about it. These are well-meaning, good people who have been deceived by these word-faith leaders you know, this just kind of goes to illustrate something that I've always taught people, and that is is that what you believe, doctrinally speaking, can have a profound effect on your life, 
whether good or bad. And in this case, it's going to be bad because these people are placing their hope in something that will not work. You know, the, one of these word faith teachers used to teach that all you got to do is speak to your wallet and your wallet will get fat. Now, Pat, I know enough to know that that's a ridiculous statement to make, but there's a lot of people out there that think that sounds like good news. And the real tragedy is, is that these guys always cite Bible verses and they twist them in such a way and spin them in such a way that it sounds absolutely biblical. God wants you to be rich. That's what the Bible teaches, they think. When in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, I'm always thinking about the Jerusalem church. Now, Pat, you're familiar with the Jerusalem church, right? Right. Uh-huh. It, it was a very holy church. You know, James was the head of that church. James was the half-brother of Jesus. You might know the biblical teaching that James wasn't a believer when Jesus was alive on earth, but it was only after Jesus resurrected from the dead and appeared to James that James became a believer. And uh, church tradition tells us that James' knees became like camel knees because he was on his knees for most of the rest of his life praying to his half-brother, the divine Messiah. Now, the Jerusalem church, of which James was ahead, was a very, very holy church, and you would not find a church more committed to God in New Testament times. And yet, Pat, they were the poorest church in existence. They were the poorest church, even though they were the most godly church. And that's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul had to go visit various other churches in order to raise money for the Jerusalem church. Now, how would a word faith teacher explain that one? Well, they don't. Yeah, you know, and it seems... You know, contrary to Christ who said, you know, whoever wants to follow me must take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever loves his life in this world shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Peter talks about, you know, those who want to live godly lives shall suffer persecution. It seems like suffering, you know, James talks about consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of all kinds. It seems like that message as far as you know persecution and suffering living in a fallen world seems to be absent in those who preach the prosperity gospel well i think you're right and what's interesting is how often these guys that teach the prosperity gospel they point to jesus as our example now i find it very odd that they do that but i mean if you can show that jesus is on your side then surely you've misinterpreted all those verses you just read pat if jesus teaches the prosperity gospel, then, I mean, that settles the issue. And it really kind of is amazing what some of these guys are saying about Jesus. For example, uh, there's one word faith teacher who talks about how um, this idea that Jesus and the disciples were poor is ridiculous. Uh, and I'm quoting here, the Bible says that he has left us an example that we should follow his steps. And that's the reason why I drive a Rolls Royce. I'm following in Jesus's steps. And then there's another one that talked about how Jesus wore designer clothes. You know, he didn't wear stuff off the rack, but he wore designer clothes and therefore was a very rich man. Now let me ask you, Pat, do you think Jesus was a rich man in the sense just described? No, I think he said, you know, that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Doesn't sound well, that's, like, a, yeah. that's exactly right. And he grew up you know, under a carpenter. His daddy was a carpenter, and he became a carpenter. And the carpenters, they weren't rich. You know, they were the workmen of the day. They had to go out there and earn their money. And you're right, he did say that he had nowhere to lay his head. That's in Matthew 8, 20. Uh, he had to perform a miracle in order to pay the uh, the two drachma temple tax in Matthew 17. 
And at his death, the Roman soldiers cast lots for his clothing, which is the only thing he owned. Luke 23, verse 34. He had no big estate to leave behind to care for his mother, but rather he had to ask John the disciple to care for his mother. So, I mean, it's very clear that Jesus grew up in, in poverty, but he was spiritually rich. And see, this is where the word faith teachers get so off base, because that's our true richness as Christians. Very often when the Bible talks about you and I as Christians being rich and being blessed and, uh, you know, being healed, it has to do with spiritual healing and spiritual wealth and spiritual richness. And, of course, that's one of the reasons why Jesus told us not to build up our treasures on earth, but rather to build up our treasures in heaven. So, yes, Jesus did talk about wealth and being rich, but it was always spiritual wealth and spiritual richness that he focused on, even in the midst of being poor personally. And so uh, it's, it's those kind of facts that I think people need to be aware of. And if people would recognize this, it would help dispel all the guilt and shame and anxiety of so many people around the world who feel like they must not be living right because they're not wealthy and they're not healthy. Yes. Well, Ron, uh, give us a brief history of how this movement developed. Well, you know, that's an interesting question because there have been some uh, articles and books that I have read who have tried to argue that this was just an offshoot of the uh, the charismatic movement. And I don't think that that's true. I mean, there's a lot of charismatics that don't believe in the word faith movement. And in fact, some of the strongest critics of the word faith movement have been, you know, charismatic leaders. And so I don't think it's a fair statement to say that. There are others who say that this movement grew exclusively out of the faith healing movement of the 19th century. And I think that that faith healing or the faith cure movement of the 19th century might have contributed to it, but it goes a lot deeper into what I believe is the metaphysical movement. And I know, Pat, that you've heard of this. This is one of those scary words that people hear, and they're not sure what it means, and it sounds like maybe they don't want to know what it means. You know, metaphysical, that's a big word. <laughs> yes. But let me just explain what I mean by that. There was a guy by the name of Phineas P. Quimby he li who lived back in the 1800s, and he came up with certain ideas about healing people. And he taught that the source of physical healing, whether it was a healing of uh, cancer or a healing of broken bones or you know, kidney, kidney disease or whatever kind of disease that you have, the source of physical healing lies in the mind. And he was convinced that all physical diseases were caused by thinking wrong thoughts. And so if you can come to a point where you eliminate false beliefs and you stop thinking bad thoughts, then your disease is going to clear up and you're going to get healthy again. Now, Quimby actually didn't start a movement himself, Pat. You know, he didn't start a church and he did not start a movement, but there was a movement that independently grew out of the writings of Phineas P. Quimby. And we call it the New Thought Movement. Now, this is where it starts to get really interesting in terms of the word faith movement. The New Thought Movement basically says that people can create their own reality through the power of positive affirmation. If you think about positive thoughts, you'll bring about positive circumstances. In contrast, if you think negative thoughts, then you'll bring about bad circumstances. And so, as it came about, the New Thought Movement came up with this law that they call the Law of Attraction. Now, Pat, you've heard of this law, haven't you? Yes, there have been some recent very popular books that uh, come out on that. I think well, the, the book The Secret was one of them. 
Well, that's exactly right. And a lot of people thought that that book, The Secret, was setting forth a new idea, like some kind of a new discovery had been made, when in fact this has been around for a very long time. And this law of attraction basically says that like attracts like. And that means that positive thoughts attract positive circumstances. Negative thoughts bring about dismal circumstances. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, would you please consider partnering with us? Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, please visit their website. That's hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence.